Exodus chapter 20 this morning. And while you're turning in the text, let me just mention a couple things with reference to Sunday school. Uh, Number one, I talked a little bit about literacy and the, uh, the Puritans, uh, the New England colonists in particular, were very, very concerned about literacy and promoted it heavily and worked very hard to ensure that the entirety of the community could read. In fact, this was really in many ways the birthplace of public education. That's a whole other subject. Um, but So I, I, I wanted to make sure that I clarified that, which I did not make very clear. Secondly... I gave you two types of Baptist, the regular and the particular, and completely neglected to point out who would be the left. And I don't mean this in a, I really don't mean this in any kind of a snarky or sarcastic way, but who would be on the left wing of the Baptist movement, and that would have been the free will Baptists. The free will Baptists were Baptists who believed that you could lose your salvation. A regular Baptist did not. The a regular Baptist and a particular Baptist would not agree on how to interpret and understand the atoning work of Christ, whether it was for everybody or only the elect, but they would both hold to a perseverance of the saints' eternal security position, and a free will Baptist would not. And I didn't even mention them, and I apologize for that. Exodus chapter 20 this morning. Last Sunday morning, we looked at the first four of the commandments to God that God gave to us. And uh, we're just going to take some time in Sunday mornings and talk about some things with reference to our salvation. And part of understanding our salvation is understanding why we need it. And understanding why we need it requires some kind of understanding of the law. And for our purposes, at least with reference to what God demands of us specifically in the first four commandments or the first table. And I mentioned last week that I wanted to come back and just kind of pause and give some attention specifically to the subject matter of the Sabbath. And that is what we'll do this morning. Let's go ahead and stand please. Verses 8 through 11 will be our text then this morning. Exodus chapter 20 verse number 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day, Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for this day that you have blessed and that you have set aside for yourself. And I pray, Father, that as I speak this morning, I would speak the truth of your word to the subject that I would say what you would say. And then I pray that your spirit would give to us understanding and would work in our hearts and minds and wills that your word would have a 
solid resting place there. And I pray this for us in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may, of course, be seated. Well, so just to recover the outline, and not that it's that spectacular, but we dealt with the first four commandments this way. One God, one worship, one word. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And one wisdom. And I applied that for the sake of my alliterated outline to the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Question then becomes today, what of the Sabbath day? And of course, one extreme would be to take the position that either the Sabbath in the version of Saturday, as Seventh-day Adventists would do, or the Sabbath day in the sense that now Sunday is the Sabbath day, and try to impose all of the Old Testament order upon this day. The other extreme is to treat it like any other day of the week. Is Sunday simply one more day of the week? And sometimes the logic for that is Romans chapter 14. But Romans 14 is really no help. Because Romans 14, folks, raises the question of whether every day is holy. And it never raises the question of whether every day is secular. And for many in the modern church, that's what their desire is, is to turn Sunday into a secular day. Another day of business, another day of shopping, another day of employment, another day that is not functionally or foundationally different from any other day of the week. And how can we do that? Well, Romans 14 says that we can. But again, that is not what Romans 14 is debating. Romans 14 is taking up the question as to whether, if you want to get very narrow about it, whether Monday is any different than Sunday. Not whether Sunday is any different than Monday. What I want to do this morning is address the Sabbath day to you in five points. They are Obviously not original to me, but one of the beauties of being a pastor is you're never called upon to be original. You're, you're called upon to tell the people what the Bible says, and God is the original author there. So five points about the Sabbath from the text of Scripture that will help us to understand, I hope, in our New Testament era, because it's really not a cultural issue, folks. And it's not a modern cultural issue. It's a New Testament covenant issue. What about the Sabbath? Number one. The Sabbath day has unique meaning to the nation of Israel. The Sabbath day has unique meaning to the nation of Israel. It is given here in Exodus 20 verses 8 through 11 as part of the law of Moses or what is more formally known as the Mosaic Covenant, which is the covenant that God made with an ethnic group of people, the Israelites. Now, again, in our day, and this is my, one of the guys and I were talking about this not too long ago, what is a Jew? But it was not really a big question in Moses' day. There were 12 brothers and they became the foundations of the nation of Israel. 
and a Jew with somebody who was one of their descendants, and here is a covenant with them. And the reason that it has a unique relationship to the Jewish people, to the nation of Israel, is because the Sabbath day is a symbol of that covenant. In fact, let me back up and make that even a little tighter. The Sabbath day is the symbol of that covenant. The Sabbath day is the symbol of that covenant. Every covenant, folks, has a physical representation to it. So that when God made covenant with Noah that he would never flood the earth again, he gave him the rainbow, the visible symbol of covenant. And when God made a covenant with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, the symbol of that covenant was circumcision. And when God made a covenant with the church or with New Testament believers, the symbol of that covenant is baptism by immersion. It is the visible representation of our identification with the covenant. Turn, if you would please, to Exodus chapter 31. The Sabbath then is the covenant, or the symbol of the covenant with Moses. Exodus chapter 31 and verse number 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbaths, and you notice that that's plural, because the Sabbath will exist in several forms. Ye shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. Ye shall keep the Sabbath therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it shall surely be put to death. For whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave unto Moses when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone, written with the finger of God. So the Sabbath has an unusual relationship with the Israelites because the Sabbath day is the visible symbol of their covenant with God. And that word sign that is used in Exodus 31.17 has reference to a distinguishing feature. In Genesis 1.14, the sun and moon were given for signs. That's a little bit off track, but 
Folks, one of these days, God is going to do things to the sun and the moon. They're going to experience physical changes in appearance. And when people look at that, they will know that something is happening. It is the distinguishing feature of the judgment of God that has been predicted. It is a sign. In Genesis 4.15, in one of the most debated passages of all the Bible, God set a mark on Cain, a distinguishing feature. There was something about Cain that all you had to do was look at him and you knew that he had been distinguished and not in a good way. And in Genesis 17.11, this is the word used to describe the circumcision. It is a distinguishing feature. It is a symbol of covenant. To go back to Exodus chapter 20, folks, the Sabbath is very simple. You may do no work. Who may do no work? Forgive my English. Nobody. Nothing may work. No work, no one. Last Sunday, after I preached along these lines, my wife and I had a conversation about what you could do on the Sabbath. And here's the reality, folks. The Sabbath is almost exclusively identified by what you may not do. In Psalm 92.1, David writes a song for the Sabbath and says, it is good to sing praises to the Lord. And if you want to turn to it, in Numbers chapter 28, there were offerings offered to the Lord on the Sabbath. What could you do on the Sabbath? Well, here are two things that come from inspired writing. You may sing to the Lord, and of the Old Testament, you may offer sacrifices. And actually, you didn't offer them, but the priest did. Numbers 28.9, on the Sabbath day, two lambs of the first year without spot, and two tenth deals of flour for a meat offering, mingled with oil and the drink offering thereof. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath beside the continual burnt offering and his drink offering. So there was an offering that was given specifically on the Sabbath day. And then David said, it is good to sing praises to the Lord. And you'll notice, folks, in Exodus chapter 20 that this is a capital offense. This is a capital crime. To violate the Sabbath is a capital crime. But you just have to ask the question, is this an overreaction? Or, which we would certainly argue not. But it is God's righteous judgment for those who had violated. And in Numbers chapter 15, a man was arrested for gathering firewood on the Sabbath. And the congregation said to the Lord, what should we do with him? And the Lord said, basically, he didn't say, what do you mean, what should you do? He answered, according to the law, you should take him out and stone him for gathering firewood on the Sabbath day. And this is because Israel has a unique relationship with the Sabbath day. It is the symbol of their covenant. Every seventh day, 
Israel was supposed to have at the front of their minds that they were God's covenant people. So that's point number one. Point number two. The Sabbath looks backward to creation. Point number one, Israel has a unique relationship. It is a symbol of the covenant. Point number two, for all, the Sabbath day looks backward to creation. Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 11, why should you observe the Sabbath? For in six days the Lord made heaven, earth, the sea, and all that in them is. Or Genesis 2.1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made and he rested on the Sabbath day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. When you are in Exodus chapter 20, right, somewhere around B.C. 1500, Nobody had ever observed the Sabbath. Adam hadn't. There's no record that Adam ever did anything special or didn't do anything on the Sabbath day. Noah didn't. Abel didn't. Enoch didn't. Abraham didn't. Now, there is developing by this time in human history a formality to the worship of God. When you read in the Old Testament that there they called upon the name of the Lord, that is probably not just a reference to somebody praying, but to some formal dimension to the worship of the Lord. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord, Genesis 5. So there are sacrifices being offered, there are prayers being uttered, there is some formal dimension of worship. Job didn't worship. Job didn't acknowledge it. But for all people, folks, it always goes back to the creation. It is anchored in the creation. That matters to us. Right? We do not, we do not because we are not Jews and we are not Mosaic Covenant people, we do not have that relationship to it, but we have this relationship to it. It is the day after the creation was finished. Number three, point number, I put up two fingers, point number three. <laughs> I thought I would demonstrate my math skills as well as my... <clears throat> Verbal memory. Number three, the Sabbath day looks forward to redemption. The Sabbath looks forward to redemption. Turn, if you would, please. We're going to leave the Old Testament. We'll go to the New Testament. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. And we will look at more of Hebrews chapter 4 in just a moment. But I would ask you to turn your attention specifically to verse number 9 at this point in time. 
Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 9. There remaineth therefore a rest, which if you have any kind of a study Bible is probably going to have a note, the keeping of a Sabbath. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. A Sabbath keeping. A Sabbath observation. There is one yet coming. There remaineth. At the very beginning of the creation, God put a rest into the creation. He created and he stopped and he sanctified that day. It becomes part of the creation story, although nothing is created. There is a rest and God blessed it. This is a good day. And God set it aside. This is not the other six days. And then it sat there. And then it sat there. From all biblical appearances, from all biblical appearances, unnoticed and unobserved until Exodus chapter 20. There is still a rest that is coming. And this is, and we'll get to this when we turn to point number four. This, folks, is a preview of the rest of salvation. So Israel has a unique relationship with the Sabbath day that you and I do not have. But for us, as for them, the Sabbath looks back to the creation. And for us, as for them, the Sabbath looks forward to redemption. Number four, the Sabbath looks upward to the rest that is found in God. Genesis 2.2, on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made and he rested. He Sabbathed. And what were the Jews to do on the seventh day? They were to rest. Now this is what they did not do. What they did do was work. We're in Hebrews chapter 4. Let's go back to verse number 1. The Sabbath looks backward. The Sabbath looks forward. The Sabbath looks upward. On the seventh day, God rested. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 1, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Verse number 3, For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Verse number 4. For he spake in a certain place, Genesis 2.2, of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his work. Verse number five. And yet again, which by the way is Psalm 95. And again in this place, if they shall enter into my rest. 
Verse number 8. For if Jesus, and you may have a note, or your translation, your King James translation might have the word Joshua. That's who we're talking about here. Old Testament Joshua of the book of Joshua. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. If entering into the land of Canaan had been the fulfillment of the Sabbath, then they would have never been talking about anything in the future. But even when they went into Canaan, and even when they were limited with their victory in Canaan, there was remaining a rest for the people of God. And so, verse number 9, there remaineth therefore a rest of the people of God, even to this day. Verse number 10, for he that has entered into his rest, God's, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his And so to bring us back full circle, chapter 4 and verse number 1, fear that you miss the promise of entering into rest. Verse 11, labor therefore to enter into that rest. Do not take your salvation casually. Do not do as so many independent fundamentalist Baptists are inclined to do. Did you pray and ask Jesus into your heart? Never worry about it again. Once saved, always saved. But rather the text of Scripture says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief, because unbelief is why you don't enter into the rest. Not absence of labor, but unbelief is why you don't enter into the rest that is being discussed here. And this is where the great pivot of the passage is in verse number 12 through down verse number 16, that Christ is our helper to enter into that rest. And I'm not going to go back and re-preach Hebrews chapter 4, but I would point out to you folks that verse number 12 is designed to encourage and comfort your heart, not frighten you to death. Right here I am laboring to enter into the rest of salvation. Oh my word, what shall I do? Well, the word of God is quick, powerful, Sharper than any two-edged sword. It knows what you need and how to get you there. And so, folks, Israel has a unique relationship with the Sabbath because it is the symbol of their covenant. But for all of us, but for all of us, the Sabbath looks back to creation and it looks ahead to salvation and it looks up to a rest that is found not in our own labor but in the Lord's work. And therefore, number five, the Sabbath is filled for us with moral, but not ceremonial significance. We do not completely shut down living. And folks, that is what was supposed to happen under the Old Testament system. What could you do On the Sabbath day, Bible answer, nothing. They didn't like that answer any better than we would like that answer. Seriously, folks, what do you suppose would be the response if I said to you this morning, and I'm not trying to be funny, but if I came to the end of the passage and said, Here's what you should do on the Sabbath day. Nothing. Do not turn the television on. Do not turn the radio on. Do not turn the Wi-Fi on. 
Do not turn your cell phone on. Nothing. You can sing. You can sleep, perhaps. You can have spiritual conversations. But even where and when and how you eat is up for debate. Because there wasn't to be a lot of activity on the Sabbath day. And if I became very hardcore about that, I kind of think that I know that one of two things would happen at Westwood Heights Baptist Church. Number one, lots of people would go into secret hiding and ignore me. Or people would go, I am getting out of Dodge as fast as I can. But folks, we are not under that covenant And it is essential that we understand why we are not under that covenant and what that means for us. There is moral significance. There is spiritual significance to the day, but there's not ceremonial observation of the day. And that is because, well, I'm going to ask you if you would to turn first to Colossians chapter 2. Right? We say, well, that was Old Testament, and we're not under it because we're New Testament, and that's all true. But let's try to be a little more precise even than that. Under the Old Testament, their entire system, folks, was shadows. Their entire system was shadows. It was previews. But it was no substance. It was all shadow, no substance. Under the New Testament, we have substance, not shadow. And so we don't go back to the ceremony of the Sabbath, not because we have liberty, but because we have substance and not shadow. Colossians chapter 2, verse number 13 And you, and you, being dead in your sin and the uncircumcision of your flesh, which doesn't have reference there to the physical body part, but to this demented appetite part, hath he quickened together with him, made alive together with Christ in his resurrection, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So that, right? And and we're going to get to this ultimately in in the next few weeks. Right? Right? Folks, there there is a genuine legal dimension to our salvation. The law served to convict us in the presence of the judge of all the universe. And no matter how much we proclaim our innocence, and Solomon says every man will proclaim his own goodness, God just simply introduces into evidence the law of Moses, and we all stand condemned. 
And then when we hear the gospel and we believe the gospel and we call upon Christ, one of the amazing things that he does for us, folks, is justify us. That is a legal declaration. That is a legal position. Right? Here is a man under the law, condemned, found guilty in a court and sentenced to eternal condemnation. Here is a believer in Christ, justified, justified, declared righteous, put on trial by the judge of the universe and found to be righteous, our legal standing. Having forgiven us, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. This is what Christ did. He undid the curse of the law for us. Back to Colossians chapter 2. Verse number 15, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. In it there's more than an earthly dimension to salvation. There is a heavenly dimension to salvation. Verse number 16, conclusion. Conclusion. Let no man therefore judge you. Let no man judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day. Those are annual feasts. Or the new moon. Those are monthly feasts. Or Sabbath days. Weekly observances. Now you'll notice the way that it's framed. And I'm a little bit off track. Paul doesn't say. Therefore don't judge others. Paul says. Don't let others judge you. Don't let anybody in, under the guise of religious authority bind you with Jewish religious observations. Why is that, folks? Verse number 17. They were the shadow. They were the shadow. We have the substance. We have Christ. It isn't that there's anything intrinsically or terribly wrong with the Sabbath observation, but it was a shadow. And you are a new covenant believer. You don't have the shadow. You have the substance. And when you have the substance, folks, the shadow goes away. Hebrews 7, 8, 9, 10. When you have the substance, you no longer need the shadow. And yet, folks there is still tremendous significance because the Sabbath day looks backwards to creation and forward to redemption and upwards to rest. And while I do not need the shadow, neither does the day somehow become magically, mysteriously secular. Is it not possible to see the significance of the day without being bound by the ritual of the day? Are there not even 
some principles to extract. For instance, folks, and this is something that I really think, right? I'm just, I'm, I'm rendering, I don't want to say an opinion because I think it's, I think it's more than an opinion. I think it's a judgment based upon the totality of Scripture. In our passionately, delightfully, celebratorily, 24-7 world, we have missed the fact that God has established a six-in-one rhythm to the world for its good. For its good. Six days may you labor and do all your work And then there is the Sabbath. That's not simply a ceremony. There is a rhythm to the world. Work is good. Working six days and six days to get everything done that you have to do. I said last week. Me time. And we got home and my wife said, what in the world is me time? And I felt really bad about that because I think, quite honestly, folks, that I live about 88% of my life enjoying me time. Time for me. And although it is true that we are no longer bound by the ceremonial obligations of doing nothing... There is still a principle at work, folks. There remains a rest. I mean, what does it say about us? And I'm going to make it the collective us, right? I'm putting myself... What does it say about us that we don't view the Lord's day and the Lord's worship as a day of rest? And I ask that partially in sincerity. Have we overstepped our boundaries by working so hard on the Lord's day that we have lost sight of the principle that guides it, which is the principle of rest? Now that's a question maybe to ask of the church, but here's a question to ask of the parishioners. What does it say about us that so many of God's people are so eager to get out of church so that they can go home and let the real rest begin. When the significance of the Sabbath day, folks, is a spiritual rest that is found in God. There is a rest in God, folks, that is not found in a football game, and I love football games. And many of you have pointed out, and I am secretly glad that the Lions didn't end up going to the Super Bowl. But what what would it say about me that I went, I just can't wait for church to get over so I go home and watch the lions because I got to have some rest. When God is in heaven going, I'm your rest. I'm your rest. I do not believe that for a moment that Sunday became the Sabbath and I would reject all who try to make it so and that's a whole other conversation. But there's a principle at stake, folks. The Lord's Day is a sacred day. And I would point out, I would make two, two observations about that, right? 
The sum and substance of the way we treat and think about the Sabbath day is not how much we go to church. But the ceremonial principle on the Sabbath day was that there was a sacrifice morning and evening. And we know from 1 Corinthians 11 that if a church is going to observe the Lord's Supper, it's going to do it at night because it's an evening meal. So I don't really think that it's proper for any of us to think of it as the Lord's half day. That God gets Sunday till noon and then it's no longer his day, it's his day. So it becomes, I don't want to say difficult, but here, right, as a, as a, as a pastor who is endeavoring to be faithful to the text, here are kind of my obligations. It is not ceremonially binding. And this was, by the way, one of the condemnations that Jesus made to the Pharisees is that in their attempts to protect the Sabbath, they, they just burdened people with never-ending rules. That what was supposed to be a day of rest became a day of a different kind of labor. Not that. But folks, on the other hand, the Lord is our rest. And to observe the Lord's day is to have rest in the Lord, which is really the purpose of what was supposed to be happening here. Not another day of labor, but a day of rest. A day of the observation and celebration of rest in the Lord, as we are told in Psalm 37, to rest in Him. So, honor the principle. Give some personal consideration as to how to honor the principle, but not the ceremony. Let's pray. Father.